Well, if you have your copy of the Word of God, would you open it to the book of Zechariah? Zechariah is the 11th minor prophet. You've made it to number 11. Congratulations. You didn't think you were going to make it, did you? There's one more left next week. Uh, The Italian prophet Malachi, or as some call him, Malachi, will be in him next week. But today, we are in Zechariah. Now, Zechariah... Uh, is one of the most, uh, the the minor prophet with the most content in it. So it's 14 chapters. We're not going to read the whole book. We're going to hit some highlights uh, here and there as we walk through and learn about this 11th major promise. And by the way, I'm so grateful that you're sending these uh, picks in of these uh, 12th man towel picks. Here's some more. I have one of our college students, Seth, there at a football game. And here's a group of adults I think is next. Uh, up there uh, with a get-together. Here's a family on the beach at fall break. No better place than to engage people on the beach with the gospel right there in front of all God's creation. Here's a family that we support, missionaries, a career missionary family in Romania. So it's made it all the way to Romania. Even in the military, here's our own Lieutenant Colonel Marty Malone uh, sporting it there. And then at a Braves game this year, there's another one. So keep sending those picks in. Love to see those. And why are we doing this? Here's why. Twelve minor prophets. Twelve major promises that God has made to us so that the people in our life and circle of influence can hear them from us. So these promises came to you, not to stay with you, (laughs) because they're headed to somebody else. So you need to tell somebody else about how good, awesome, great our God is. So we're going to look at number 11th major promise today in the book of Zechariah. You probably don't know a whole lot of people named Habakkuk. Anybody here today named Habakkuk? Do you know anybody named Habakkuk? Not a whole lot of people probably do. You probably know some people named Zach, right, or Zachary. That's a more common name. So today we're in in Zechariah. And on my favorite football team, there's a player named Zach Line. He plays fullback for the New Orleans Saints. I call him Zach the fullback. And last week we had a lot of offensive players injured and not playing. And so uh, Coach Payton called this offensive play. Nothing really unique about the play, but the personnel he had in the play was very unique. The second-string quarterback took the snap, handed the ball off to Zach, the fullback. He had the option to keep it or pitch it to the third-string, not tailback, but the third-string quarterback. Not the first-string or second-string or third-string tailback, but the third-string quarterback. Who runs a play with a second-string quarterback giving the ball to the fullback to pitch it to the third-string quarterback? Who does that? Just not, and, and, and it worked. It worked. And then I, I just scratched my head all week because none of the NFL analysts were even talking about it. I feel like Zach the fullback did not get his due props, all right? I think it's whack that Zach the fullback didn't get any love. So today, we, Zach the fullback probably won't ever get any love, but today we are going to give some love to Zach the throwback prophet. He's going to get some love today because here's why. He is the most major of the minor prophets, right? There's more content here. There's more opportunity for him to point us to the Christ And so he is the most major of the minor prophets. Let me give you some examples. You've heard some of these before. Listen to these quotes. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. You've heard that in the New Testament, right? Well, guess where that comes from? Zechariah. How about this one? They weighed out as my price 30 pieces of silver when Judas betrayed Christ, Jesus. Guess where that comes from? Zechariah. How about this one? They'll look on me. Him whom they have 
pierced. That comes from Zechariah. How about this one? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. That comes from Zechariah. In fact, 67 plus places in the New Testament are either directly quoted or allude to Zechariah. The whole book of Revelation is more influenced by Zechariah than any of the other minor prophets. Listen to me. When the New Testament authors, when they read Zechariah, they saw Jesus everywhere in Zechariah. I pray today we'll see him too. Amen? The throwback prophet. He's going to remind us of a great promise from God. Now, I know Zechariah is not the most popular. Right? The one minor prophet that gets all the press, the microphone goes in front of his face after the game, gets all the post-game interviews, is Jonah, right? Jonah gets all the press because of some fish in the book. But Zechariah is the most major of the minor prophets. So if you're in the book of Zechariah, can you say, Zach, the throwback? There you go. We're going to read verse 1 through 6 in chapter 1. That's what we're going to read, this block of text Chapter 1, 1 through 6. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts. Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. Uh, Father, Abba, Father. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we need to be dealt with today. There's some sin in our heart and life that needs to be dealt with. There's some disappointment and hurt and pain and suffering that needs to be dealt with. There's some doubts that needs to be dealt with. Uh, Lord, there's some sin, some guilt, some shame that needs to be dealt with. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you deal with us today? God, would you tune us in as we dive into Zechariah? Oh, God, would you envelop this place as we enjoy your word with each other? God, we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I'm going to give you a little bit of context, and then we'll dive into this. I want you to notice, first off, verse 1, in the eighth month. Somebody say eighth. Okay, we don't have a specific day. You go to verse 7, he gives you a day on the 24th day. But, but here in, in verse 1, we don't have a specific day. But I want you to realize that the eighth month in Zechariah's day, that month began, began 
on October the 27th, the year 520 B.C. Does anybody know what the date is today? October 27th. So this is going to be, if nothing else, a timely word, right? <laughs> okay, so uh, 520 B.C. Uh, Zechariah and Haggai were contemporaries, okay? Uh, they, they prophesied at the same year at the same time. Haggai preached two sermons, and then Zechariah was given this prophecy, and then Haggai preached two more sermons. Haggai was older. He was old, okay? Zechariah was young, okay? Kind of like Bill Harvey is old, <laughs> and I'm very young, okay? And they ministered at the same time together. And one thing, you know, genealogies are so important, and please don't read over and gloss over genealogies. You know how important they are? I'm I want you to notice what is being proclaimed right here in verse 1. What, what this is pointing us to, it says, Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido. Now, that, word, that name, I've heard it pronounced Ido, 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 Ditto, whatever. But I'm going to say Ido, okay? And he was a priest that came back with King Zerubbabel, well, came back with the governor, Zerubbabel, from the, uh, the, the initial uh, exiles that came back. The 50,000 came back. So he's a priest. That tells us that Ido, obviously here, the grandfather of Zechariah, that tells us that Zechariah was born into a priestly family. He was born a priest. But before he could be anointed in, in, into this priestly office, he was called to be a prophet. Okay? So here's a guy who's both prophet and priest. Does that remind you of anybody? Jesus, the Christ, is both prophet and priest. Now, Christ was man's perfect God, meaning that a prophet would represent God to man. And Jesus was man's perfect God. He, Hebrews tells us he's the exact representation of God himself, the person of Jesus. Also, he's the great high priest, meaning Jesus is God's perfect man, that he uh, never never stepped out of the Father's will. He lived a perfect life without sin, and so he is man's perfect God, but also God's perfect man. So even in the genealogy, Zechariah is pointing us to the Christ. Okay, He's pointing us uh, to Jesus. And then notice what it says here. The Lord was angry with, with your fathers. With the former generation, God was angry because they weren't listening to the pre-exilic prophets. They ignored them. They didn't obey what God said. And so he sent them off into Babylon and captivity. So here's the question for this generation, for Zechariah's generation. Here's the call. Return to me and I'll return to you. So the point is, listen, the former generation didn't return to me. I'm asking you, are you going to decide to return to me? Are you going to obey my word? Or is this generation right now, 2019, are we going to return to the Lord? If we return to him, he promises, I will return to you. So here's our big idea for the day. You look at the back of your worship guide, you say, man, that's a lot of blanks. Don't panic. Don't pass out. Okay, there, there's 12 reasons we're going to look at today why we need to return to the Lord, and we're going to get to all of them, so don't pass out on me. All right, 12 reasons why we need to return to the Lord, 12 reasons we can know that God will never fail us. So here's the big idea. God may delay. He may delay, but he will never fail. God may delay in his coming, but he will never fail to come. 
God may delay in his justice, but he will never fail to be just. He may delay, but he'll never fail us. And so I want to show you 12 reasons we can say this today with confidence and assurance and put our hope, our confident assurance in him that God may delay, but he will never fail. Here's the first reason we can know this, church. We can know this without a shadow of a doubt. Number one, uh, God's love never fails. God's love never fails. Now, let me give you the book in, in a very short, brief, simple outline. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 are visions. We're seeing what Zachariah saw, okay? He, we want to see what he sees, and he sees all these visions. There's multiple visions from chapter 1 to 6. Chapter 7 and 8, he hears what God says. We want to hear what he heard from God. Thus says the Lord appears in chapter 7 and 8. Chapter 9 through the end of the book, he cites Messiah, Christ, the King, is coming. So we're going to see what he saw. We're going to hear what, he, uh, what, what was said to him. And we're going to cite what he cites, which is Christ alone, the King of kings, Lord of lords, our great high priest and our prophet. That's to sum up real quickly the book. But we want to look at these 12 reasons why we need to return to him return to me says the lord there's the first one return to me verse uh, chapter 1 verse 3 return to me says the lord and i'll return to you here's what we need to know about god's love god's love never fails listen to me god loves you <laughs> notice what he said return to me that means they were not with him they were away from him they were out of his will they were outside of the will of god and god says if you'll return to me i'll return to you in other words god loves you when you are not in his will he still loves you when you're outside of his will god loves you when you're inside of his will notice there's a vision around verse 7 8 9 of these horsemen in myrtle trees verse 8 says and i saw that night behold a man riding a red horse he was standing among the myrtle trees so this is god among his people in every nation where there's a believer god is present with his people and so when you're right smack dab in the middle of God's will, God loves you. When you're not in God's will, God loves you. When you sin against God, God loves you. Jump down in chapter 1, uh, jump down to verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? So they sinned against him. They went into exile for 70 years. When we sin against God, he still loves us. He still loved his people. He still loves you. He still loves me even when we sin against him. Isn't that good news? Do you know God loved you before you loved him? Like, like before he knitted you in the womb, he loved you. L listen, listen to what it says here in, in verse 14 in chapter 1. I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, thus says the Lord. <laughs> He's not jealous of us. He is jealous for us. He loved you before you loved him. We love because he first loved us. Do you know God loves you even though you don't deserve it? Look at verse 16 in chapter 1. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. Mercy is the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. And God loves you and me even though we don't deserve it. God loves you when you choose him and when you don't choose him. Look at verse 17. 
Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts. My city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. God loves us when we choose him and when we don't. God flat out loves you. The Bible says love never fails, and the reason love never fails is because God is love, and God never fails. This is why we can know that God loves you when you sin against him. God loved you before you loved him. God loves you when you're in his will, out of his will, when you choose him, when you don't choose him. How can I know this? How can I know that God loves me? He has proved it. He's demonstrated it. He's shown it. He does it here in verse 18, 19, 20, 21. You'll notice there's a vision here of horns and craftsmen. The horns are the nations that are coming against God's people and crushing them. And then the craftsmen come to crush the horns of those who are crushing God's people. Look at 18. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, the horns, four horns. And I said to the angel, who talked with me? What are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And then look down in verse uh, down toward verse 21. And these, these craftsmen have come to terrify the horns, them, and to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. In other words, these craftsmen have come to crush these horns that have scattered God's people. Listen, Jesus came to crush the head of the serpent. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to die. And guess what? His death dealt death a death blow. <laughs> Jesus' death put death to death. He killed death in his death. And that's how God demonstrated he loves us. That while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Listen, our love will fail each other. Okay? <laughs> because we're broken. We're tainted with brokenness and sin. and Our love is not perfect now it's just not we have all this yes we've been saved from the penalty of sin and we are being saved from the power of sin but we still have the presence of sin that doesn't come until we get to heaven but God's love never fails he so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life aren't you glad God loves you Number two, God's justice never fails. Uh, end of chapter, well, look, I tell you what, look at verse 15 in chapter 1. This is where we know that God's justice never fails. God is, it says here that he is angry with the nations that are at ease. Verse 15, chapter 1. I'm exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. There's all this injustice going on, and there are people in tribes and language and people who are just turning a blind eye to all the injustice. They're not being just themselves. And God says, one day I'm going to right every wrong. One day, God's justice will make every wrong right. I don't know if you saw this week, a Texas judge and jury uh, ruled against a dad of a seven-year-old who wanted to save his son from being transitioned into a girl. Uh, the mother wants to transition her son into a girl and give him medication for that, and the dad doesn't want that to happen, and it's just a, a court fight. And the judge and jury ruled against the dad of the boy. Can I tell you that as children of God, listen to me, as children of God, <laughs> as the family of God, there is no court, there is no power, there is no judge, there is no jury, jury who is over our God who is going to rule over him. He is ruling over all the nations, and one day justice will prevail. God's justice never fails. Number three, 
God's reach never fails. This is good in chapter 2. I love chapter 2. I love this vision of a measuring line. Look at verse 1 in chapter 2. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. You say, well, Pastor, wait a minute. How can we, how can we trust what Zechariah says? How can we trust Zechariah? Well, I could say it like this. I could say it like this. Uh, Zechariah has... Uh, Zechariah knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. I could say that to you. But what I love about this measuring line is it reminded me, it pointed me uh, to the words of our Savior. This measuring line, if you'll look here in Zechariah 2, there's a measuring line. What are you going to do with this? Where are you going? I'm going to measure Jerusalem. I'm checking the width and length of Jerusalem. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Jump down to verse 4. Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. What is this telling us? This is what it's telling us. There's plenty of room in heaven. There'll be plenty of room in that new Jerusalem and that new earth for people from every tribe, every language, every nation, and every people to come in. Jesus said it the same. We say, how can we trust Zechariah? Jesus said in my father's house for what? Many what? Many dwelling places. There's plenty of room. There's plenty of room in heaven for every person, for whosoever will believe in the gospel, there's room for you. Which means, church, there's room for Kanye West in heaven. Even Kanye can be saved. I'm telling, this is what it means. If there's room in heaven, here's what it means. Here's what it means. There's no room in our lives for us not to make room in our lives to have gospel conversations. If there's plenty of room in heaven, there is no room for us not to make room to open our mouth and share the gospel with people. Here's my question about all the rooms in heaven. And, and, and I just want to know this. Am I going to have to share a bathroom with three women a dog and a cat? Or do I get my own? I mean, that, that's not the point of this. The point is there's plenty of room in heaven. Yeah, there's plenty of room. The measuring line proves it. There's room in heaven for whosoever will. You know, Jesus gave the Great Commission 2,000 years ago, and sadly, the Coca-Cola company has reached more places in 133 years. Now, Jesus gave this to us 2,000 years ago. So then 2,000 years... We've had this commission to take the gospel. Coca-Cola, 133 years, has, has gone to more places with Coke than we have with the gospel. But don't lose heart because Jesus said his reach will never fail. Jesus says for this gospel will be proclaimed to, as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So his reach is not going to fail. So take heart, church. You can trust the Word of God. Now, tonight at our fall festival, we're going to have people from every tribe, language, nation, and people. There's just going to be a lot of people here tonight. Hundreds of families are going to be here tonight. We need your help to come and serve them, volunteer, pray, share the gospel with them. I'm going to stand up at some point and share the gospel. I'm going to present the gospel, and then you're going to have an opportunity to engage them after that. So pray that God would open their hearts, that they would hear, they'd respond. Just pray for salvations tonight at our fall festival. And you might win an iPad. Who knows? I'm trying to rig it where I'll win it, but I don't know if that'll work. Also, there's another treat tonight. Now, you might not think it's a treat. I think it's a treat. Uh, but we're going to have the debut of a song called Zephaniah tonight. A song I've written, recorded. Brad, a.k.a. Tune Lifters, produced it. Even Miss Holly Ford is singing on it. So that's going to debut tonight. 
Check that out. It'll be on iTunes next week. God's reach never fails. Number four, God's forgiveness never fails. Look at chapter three. We got to hurry up here, so let's look at chapter three. God's forgiveness never fails. I want you to look at verse uh, one. You see Joshua the high priest, that's Israel. You see the angel of the Lord, that's God. And you see Satan, that's Satan, okay, the accuser. And so verse 2 says, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord is, who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now look at Joshua. Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. D- do you know that the best we can offer God outside of Christ is disgusting to Him? Filthy unimaginably disgusting to our God is what we can bring to him in our own sin outside of Christ. It is filthy. And so the same with a nation. They're filthy before God. But look what God does. And the angel, verse 4, said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments. Amen? Remove them. I'm taking away your iniquity. And then watch this. And then I'll clothe you with pure vestments and put a clean turban on your head. Oh, my soul. This is a picture of forgiveness. Listen, here's what God does in forgiveness. God does not forget to forgive sinners. And then when you're forgiven, he chooses to forget your sin. What? 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 Yes, God doesn't forget to forgive sinners. And then when you're forgiven, he chooses to forget your sin. As far as the east is from the west, even Kanye West. He forgives our sin. His forgiveness, we can count on it. This reminded me of the prodigal son. I mean, what better pass, What better picture in Luke than this, this, this kid coming back home and the father with compassion seeing him and racing to him, embracing him, kissing him, throwing a robe on him, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, killing the fattened calf, having a celebration. Why? Because this one who was lost is found. You can count on his forgiveness. His forgiveness never fails. Number five, chapter four is all about the Holy Spirit. Uh, So number five is God the Spirit never fails. And we see that in chapter four. God the Spirit never fails. If you look at chapter four, check out verse six. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by what church? By my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And this is all, it's a vision of a lampstand and a light and and two olive trees. And it's a picture of of us walking by the Spirit and working by the Spirit and witnessing by the Spirit. And we do this not in our flesh. We do this from power on high. Jesus said, listen, you need to wait for power on high to his disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you'll be my witnesses. God, the Spirit, will never Amen. He even says this over in uh, chapter 4, verse 9, that his hand shall also complete it. That what God has begun in you, he will bring it to completion. And the Holy Spirit's the one that does that. Number six, God the priest and king never fails. God the priest and king never fails. Chapter 5 and 6. Chapter 5 has an interesting vision. The first one is a vision of a flying scroll. Anybody like to go to the beach? Beach goers, raise your hand. Any beach goers up here? Yeah, there's some, there's some, there's some. Okay, you know, uh, beach goers. You ever been to the beach and see an airplane flying over the beach with a banner behind it? You've seen that, right? On both sides you can read what's there. Now picture that with this flying scroll, 
Okay, this scroll is flying over the land. And this scroll is a list of curses, a list of consequences because of our sin. So, listen, you can choose your sin, but what you can't choose, you can't choose the consequences of that sin. And so, on this scroll is listed out consequences. For example, look here, right here in verse 3. Uh, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what's on the other side. It is uh, 20 cubits long and 10 cubits wide. This scroll, that's a perfect exact size of the tabernacle. It's two-sided like God's holy word, the tablets, the Ten Commandments. And yet it is the consequences and curses of sin flying over mankind. Well, what can be done about this? Well, keep reading. The vision of the woman in the basket is next in chapter 5. This woman, we're told in verse 6, is the iniquity in all the land, the wickedness of the land, the sin of the land. And she's put in this basket and covered up. And then there's a place prepared for her. Jesus said there's a place prepared for the devil and his angels. And this sin and wickedness is dropped down into that place. And this is a picture of what the great high priest has done. Not only has he been punished for our sin, but he has removed our sin. He just doesn't cover it up. He has removed it. And so the question for you today is, on that day when you face the Lord, are you going to have to pay the penalty of your sin? Or have you applied the penalty that Jesus has already paid to your sin? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Have you repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in him alone as your great high priest? And then in chapter 6, you can read about the royal throne in verse 13 and verse 12. It's a picture of Jesus is both priest and king all at the same time. Today, we can think about it like this, church. Jesus is both our great high priest the prophet like no other, and the king of kings. Jesus both. At the same time, Jesus forgives and he forever reigns. <laughs> At the same time, he's our kinsman redeemer and he's our reigning king. All at the same time. All at the same time, he was thrown upon the cross and he is crowned upon the throne. Yes, all at the same time, he's the deliverer and divine. He, put, he was put on the cross and he put on the crown. He is both our priest and king and he'll never fail you. I'm telling you, I will let you down. I will disappoint you. You will disappoint each other. But this Jesus, this Christ, this Messiah, this great high priest and king will never let you down. He will never fail you. Zechariah will fail you and so will I, but not this great high priest and king. Number seven, God's word never fails. Now our word... We, we don't keep our word. We make a promise or a vow and we don't keep it. That's common among us because we're broken, sinful people. We don't keep our word. But we can trust God's word. You can just trust the truth. I'm, you can trust the truth. Chapter 7 and 8 is all about what God is saying to the prophet. So multiple times you're going to read, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. There's a lot of that here. In other words, the messenger is receiving this message. The word came to Zechariah. It was given to Zechariah. It didn't originate with Zechariah. He's not the agent of the prophecy. He's the receiver of it, and he is the one who gives the message. He's called the messenger, as you and I are. 
And he says, you can trust the word. This is what the Lord says. So if, if you're wondering, what do I need to pray? Pray the word, man. If you're wondering, what do I need to say? Speak the word, man. What do I need to believe? Believe the word. What do I need to, uh, where do I need to go when I'm in trouble? Go to the word, man. What, what do I need to uh, sing? Sing the word of God. I hope and I pray that you're journaling through the Word. I hope you are. My God in heaven, I hope you're engaging the Bible on a daily basis. Listen, it will change your perspective. It will change you. Here's some things I've learned this week from journaling through the Word. Just because we have ears doesn't mean we have to let everything in. And just because we have a mouth doesn't mean we have to let everything out. Right? Need to hit the mute button and have a filter. I've learned this week that hoping without hope in Jesus is hopeless. That hope is only as good as its home, where you place it. You, it so many people are hoping without hope. I, I pray you're journaling through the Word. For example, right here. Look, look, we'll do a journal through the Word right here real quick. Chapter 7, verse 8. Look at this, verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. So, here we go. What is that saying to us? That we're to be kind to one another. Who are we to be kind to? Are we to be kind to those people who are our kind only? Are we to be kind to those who are kind to us only? Or are we to be kind to everyone? Are we to be kind to people that don't believe like us, don't agree with us, don't see eye to eye to us? Yes, 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 yes. And you can trust the Word of God. It will never let you down. Think about the cross of Christ. This is God's kindness toward you and just like the person you're showing kindness to doesn't deserve it i got news for you you don't either number eight god's judgment and joy never fail uh, chapter nine and ten the first part of chapter nine is just judgment destruction people being cut off stripped of possessions those who reject god are going to be rejected that's the first part of chapter nine uh, you can see the Lord will strip her of her possessions, strike down her power on the sea, and she shall be devoured by fire, verse 4. I don't want to be a part of that, church. I, I don't want to be devoured by fire. I really don't, right? That's judgment. But then look at verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Man, the joy of the Lord never fails. And then look, man, we whew, chapter 9 and 10, oh my uh, look at verse 11 in chapter 9. I'll set your prisoners free. Verse 13, I'll stir up your sons. Verse 14, I'll appeal over, uh, appear over them. I'll sound the trumpet. I'll protect them. I'll save them. I'll bring you in. I'll strengthen you. I am the Lord. I, I will bring you home. My God, the joy of the Lord will never fail us. Hudson Taylor said it like this. Would that God would make hell so real to us that we cannot rest Heaven so real that we must have people there. Christ so real that our supreme motive and aim shall be to make the man of sorrows the man of joy by the conversion to him of men. Yes, Lord. His judgment and joy never fails. Number nine, God the good shepherd never fails. Chapter 11 is all about a shepherd uh, it's about ultimately the Messiah, the good shepherd, who laid down his life for his sheep. Uh, but you can read in the first part here, chapter 11, verse 1 through 3, the sheep are rejecting the shepherd, and the shepherds are wailing because of these sheep that are doomed to slaughter. They're, they're following ungodly shepherds and not the good shepherd. So you can either be under the care of the good shepherd or under the rule and reign of the ungodly shepherds. 
And so Jesus, it says in verse 7, the Bible says, I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. Here's a picture of, of Christ becoming the good shepherd, being rejected by the sheep, ultimately laying down his life for his sheep. And one said it like this, I'm not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep. I'm afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. Well, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the good shepherd, he is leading his sheep. Number 10, God the suffering servant never fails. Jump over to chapter 12, verse 7. 12, verse 7 in Zechariah. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. Oh, God's going to give us salvation. Do you know that once you come into a relationship with Christ, you are saved? That when you, by grace alone, come to Christ alone through faith, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confessing with your mouth that he is Lord, when you call upon his name, mysteriously, this this thing happens where you are regenerated and, and you're justified before a holy God and you're saved from the penalty of sin. That is removed from you. But then you have to grow up, right? There's a process of growing up. Like, like Kanye West, he has is, he is trusted Christ. I love what Lecrae said about Kanye uh, this week. Lecrae said this. He said, regardless of how you feel about Kanye West, the content of his album is refreshing to hear God will get the glory and Jesus is king. So uh, listen, Kanye got, got saved, apparently got born again. He is justified, but then he has to grow up. He's not going to be a mature Christian like that. I mean, come on, let's give him a break, right? <laughs> He's got to grow up in his salvation just like you and me. And so we're sanctified. We, we grow up, and then one day we're going to be glorified when we'll be separated forever from sin, death, and the grave in Christ. And people need to know this, and we see this in chapter 12. Look at verse 10 in chapter 12. Of Zechariah, and I will pour out on the house of David and the heavens of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, when they consider him, Moses said, You have to look to the serpent on the pole to live. You've got to consider Christ. You've got to look to him, not to yourselves. You have to look to the one who has laid down his life for us. Look to him and live. Look on me, the one whom they have pierced. Look to him, and they shall mourn for him. We talk a lot about the second coming, Oswald Smith said, but man, so much of the world, half of the world has never heard of the first coming. We need to tell people that Jesus has come to save them. Amen? Number 11, God's prophecy never fails. You need to know there's a lot of false prophecy out there today. There's a lot of prophecy that is a bunch of hogwash and heresy out there today. A lot of it. So you say, okay, well, how do we know which prophecy to believe? Hold up your Bible. You got your Bibles? Can you hold them up? Hold up your phone or your tablet or your Bible? You got your Bible? Here's how. The Word of God. You can trust the Word. Test the spirits with the Word, man. I mean, whatever I say, please test it. Don't take my word for it. Take the Word's word for it. Man, get in the Word, man. This is why you need to train yourself, feed yourself, and journal through the Word because there's ton. I mean, look, look at verse 2 in chapter 13. It talks about all these idols and, and, and these prophecies. I mean, just listen to what God says. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols. That's plural. There's millions upon billions upon trillions of idols 
and false prophets. He's going to cut them off. Uh, they will be remembered no more. And, and also, I'll remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanliness. Uncleanness. He's going to remove all those. He's going to remove all those prophets. You say, well, how can we trust this prophecy? How do we know this prophecy is true? Great question. Look at verse 7. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. In Matthew 26, 31, the Lord Jesus makes this statement to his disciples. He says in Matthew 26, 31, he said to his disciples, You will all fall away because of me on this night. For it is written, where is it written? Zechariah. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep, will, uh, sheep of the flock will be scattered. So Jesus says, when I'm arrested tonight, you guys are going to be gone. Y'all going to scatter? Why? Because Zechariah said so. And this is just one of hundreds of prophecies that Christ fulfilled. Hundreds of them. Just one of them right here. And then he talks about the two-thirds that will be cut off and the one-third into the fire. That's speaking of the tribulation period at the end of chapter 13 in Zechariah. Remember, a lot of revelation is, in, is, 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 is seen in Zechariah, and a lot of Zechariah is seen in Revelation. Hey, here's what you can know. God's prophecy will never fail. And lastly, last one, church, you made it to number 12. God's future hope never fails. Chapter 14 in Zechariah is all about the coming day of the Lord. On that day, on that day, on that day, you'll read over and over again in this, in this chapter. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord. And much of what's in chapter 14 is the tribulation and the punishment and the judgment, and it's heavy and it's thick. But I want to point you to verse 11 in Zechariah chapter 14. And the Bible says, And it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. I love this last part. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. Listen, have, has anyone in this room experienced any type of separation? Lost a death of a loved one. Anybody been separated in that way? Maybe a broken family. Maybe a broken relationship. Uh, maybe, maybe a move that took you across the country. You've we've all experienced some type of separation. Do you know that on this day, separation will be no more? <laughs> you know, that we will be secure and we will have security because our king is coming and his coming is sure. It will be sudden. It will be seen. You can trust the word of God and the God of the word. He will never fail you. The question is this, all the way back to chapter 1, will you return to him? Return to me, says the Lord, and I will return to you. God may delay, but he will never fail. Now, I think uh, it was asked maybe today to tear off the tear-off tab. Do you all have those available? If not, can you tear those off? I want you to notice on the back side of that tab, there's prayer request. Every one of you has a prayer that we can pray for, or a request that we can pray for. Please write them down. I'm going to ask you to drop this where you are after our service. Just drop it in your seat. But notice at the bottom, all of you can fill out the prayer request part, so go ahead and do that. But at the bottom, you'll notice three circles. One of them says, repent. There's two options. I'm turning to the Lord. For the very first time, I've never put my faith in Christ. I didn't realize I, I, all I've experienced is, is, is people not keeping their word with me. Well, God's going to keep his word with you. I, I've never really experienced love. Well, God's love will never fail. 
I've never seen justice in my, well, you can count on God's justice one day. He'll never fail you. Well, so-and-so said they forgive me, but they really haven't. Well, you can trust God's forgiveness. He, he'll, he'll forgiveness will never fail you. And maybe you've never been presented with these characteristics, with this, uh, the character of God. Maybe you've never seen that before, the, the benefits that you receive as a result of his character. Maybe you've never heard of that before, and today you've heard it, and you're looking to the cross, and you're seeing this Jesus who died for you and was buried and raised to life, and you say, today I want to turn to the Lord. So maybe today for the first time you're turning to the Lord. We want to celebrate that with you. So mark that box. Let us know that's your decision today. Maybe you need to return to the Lord. How long has it been? How long has it been since you've been away from the Lord? Maybe today you need to return to him and mark that box. Maybe you've yet to be baptized. I mean, you've got to understand, your, your faith, you're saved upon your conversion, your belief in him. But then the first step of obedience is baptism. And that's when it begins. That's not the end of your walk with Christ. That's the beginning. So you need to take that first step of obedience and be baptized. And then if you have any interest in learning more about who we are and what we're trying to accomplish, uh, you can mark that next step where you can attend one of our luncheons to join our church or find out more information about that. 